So to start with, uh, am I audible enough or shall I come little? To start with, since we have uh, titled the series as Disorders, uh, let me set it right that sexuality is not regarded as a disorder. Uh, it's a very normal, universal force expressing itself through countless um, forms. And when I use the word countless forms, it's not just unique to human, not even to animals. Right from the first living organisms, there is some kind of a process which we can call as sexual. We use the word sexual reproduction and asexual reproduction. So what is the difference? The difference, like everything else, as Shubhinda puts it very beautifully in one of his aphorisms, that animals do it in season but men do it out of season. And I think that makes a big difference and that's partly because of the coming of the mind and the way it works upon the body, the way it works upon the whole personality. As the mother speaks in one of her uh, long conversation, that what is really meant by the fall. And she says, before the mind came, uh, we were more in tune with the oneness of creation. But with the coming of the mind, there has been a kind of fall compared to what we were in our very natural, uh, beautiful state when we were connected with all the forces in a very normal and natural way. So, sexuality like everything else, we, we, we are not talking of yoga right now and the special difficulty it poses. Uh, because there are, there are things which are distinctly not natural and they are uh, definitely harmful even to normal human beings. But sex is a very normal, natural, healthy phenomena. But the challenge that comes even in normal human life is that animals do it when there is a... They do it primarily for procreation. I mean, lions, for example, they mate only once in a year. And once the female lion is pregnant, she would not allow the male to come near till the child is born and reasonably nurtured. So, you know, they know it. And again, if you see the giant panda, it's like once, once in a blue moon, it's, it's a very rare thing. So, sometimes when we use the word mating like animals, we should be very careful because, you know, animals are not that bad. Some animals mate very fast like rabbits. But they mate very fast because they live very short. You know, they live very for a very short period. So, they haven't... It's an instinct by nature that they mate very fast, not because they, they take some great pleasure in it. But with human beings, because the mind has a tendency to do things for the sake of pleasure, so sex from procreation changes to sex for recreation. And that's when we start entering a slippery slope. Because anything when we start doing only for pleasure, then there is a tendency for habit formation, tendency for addiction, Tendency for all kinds of issues. So we know nowadays, you know, we talk about, uh, now we talk about pornographic addiction. But well, sex addiction has ex existed for a very long time. Especially the physical mind can latch on to it. Physical mind can merely by habit start making people seek it. Not only for pleasure, but because of the absence of pleasure. And the more the society becomes, you know, one of the reasons why sex impulse arises in nature... Uh, I was very surprised how Shirobindo has uh, uh, put this. He says, boredom. So if one is jobless, one has nothing to do. And I think that's one thing which we have to avoid in a community which uh, devotes itself to spiritual pursuits because there is a tendency, especially in pursuits which are purely connected with meditative things. So we have meditation, rest of the time there is laziness, there is a tendency towards boredom. So boredom People seek pleasure and they seek pleasure, start seeking pleasure through sexuality. So that's when one of the issues begin to come up that sex in a normal healthy way changes into sex which is done for the sake of pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure again but the issue is that we have a choice. We have a choice of um, the most uh, degraded form of an object or its most purified form. So when often people speak of pleasure and ananda and sometimes people even compare the two ironically obviously they are not aware of the other pole of things but uh, 
it's simply we can say that any form of pleasure is a degradation of the original ananda which is so subtle so profound and uh, equally seen from this end the more we can master it the more we can offer it uh, purify it uh, the more it will change into higher and higher equivalent so that's the whole logic behind transformation that any activity of lower nature can be transformed by a process of purification upliftment sublimation and offering into its divine equivalent so the question comes um, is there a divine truth behind sex because we see sex exists at many levels physical level we are aware of it even we may say that uh, we don't use the word at atomic sex but definitely there is a law of attraction which operates so in sexuality also there is a law of attraction so it it's one of the first stimulus so it does exist purely from the point of view of Uh, physical bodies coming close to each other there is a physical component in sexuality um, even there are foods which stimulate and foods which put it down it's known traditionally for example that sattvic foods foods like fruits they are um, very conducive in general to yoga and even they tend to tone down the sexual impulse they are not going to take it away but it does tone down equally very stimulating food rajasic foods Uh, spicy foods hot food uh, non vegetarian food they increase the drives which includes anger and sexuality so it it's interconnected with the very fabric of life we can see even foods have that property or rather can impart this kind of property to uh, human beings uh, and animals so then we come to uh, apart from the physicality there is the nervous element in sexuality what is called as an itch sexual itch so even if we throw it away from the mind we throw it away from the vital just there is a kind of stimulation at a very very physical level it's a very nervous stimulation one of the most difficult things to get rid of because it's relatively easier to clear on these layers but there is just a kind of itching sensation in that those parts very physically which uh, bring up the whole cascade of events and bring up the whole thing again back to the forefront of course there is a vital element in sexuality which is not just about pleasure it's about domination control and every possession many things you know there are people who almost uh, believe that if there is no sexual relation between a man and a woman uh, there is no love which is obviously a, a strange doctrine but it's it's like the the will to possess to dominate to control so that's also there in sexuality which comes from the vital part emotions get confused and mixed up with sexuality then there is of course the mental component the images the thought um, all this is part of the sexual impulsion and behind it all the subconscious simply the sanskara the habits millions of years if this were all it's still easy there is also the environmental component of sexuality so when we reject it throw it out from the physicality it remains in the environment and from there it trigger can come so certain traditional yogis will say don't look don't uh, you know it's it's an impossible thing but there have been people like that in the mm-hmm. ashram there was a uh, sadhaka who used to close his eyes and walk out of the room and some of the uh, smart girls in the ashram used to play a prank so the moment he would start walking out they would put their feet in front and he would stumble and fall so either which way he was falling down and <laughs> and obviously that's not a solution at all but there are certain uh, i mean it's 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 a bigger problem so there are certain sects like for instance swami narayan sect where they don't look upon girls the swami ji if you attend their meeting the all the girls and women are supposed to sit behind so these there are absurd ways people have gone on to which includes shunning all women and shirbinder in one of his aphorism says very beautifully with this uh, characteristic touch of humor that the perfect solution is um, either to shun all or all women or to love all beings now you know our path is a much vaster path you know all beings when we love we we don't start shunning and start creating a gender difference why women because uh, well biologically it is true that and not because of anything pejorative but sexuality though it's there in both but for men it's a much more serious difficulty because of various reasons there are very biological and physiological reasons for it uh, for women for many women uh, sexuality uh, is a final instrument to express love for many men uh, i mean when we use the word money we know there are many exceptions for many men sex can exist as as a stand alone thing 
regardless of any emotional involvement. Whereas women can get very easily emotionally involved even when there has been a uh, very casual kind of sexual involvement. So it's because the biological system operates very difficulty, uh, very differently. Therefore, this difficulty is generally regarded as being uh, the prerogative of men. Uh, whatever it be, both and particularly in today's age, uh, nobody is an exception. Uh, and we should understand it as a genuine difficulty. It has nothing to do with morality. To start with, we should uh, disengage the moral notion. Take for example, when Shubhindu was asked that, is, it, is there a difference when we have sex with wife and vis-a-vis -vis with some other person? He said, there is no difference from the spiritual point of view. So there is no moral issue involved. But there is definitely a difference when we have sex with one partner. That also Shubhindu brings out. So amazing how he has touched upon every aspect. Uh, and that's because in any sexual uh, relation, I put on hold that aspect. Where is the spiritual side of sex? So I put it on hold. But uh, I mean, I mean, it will come at its own time. But when there is one partner consistently over a long period of time, uh, any sexual relation involves a vital interchange. So because of this vital interchange, many good and bad, uh, good and bad a way of saying, but many qualities get exchanged. So it's not just an exchange of fluids. It's an exchange of consciousness. It's a, it's a kind of commerce, a very intense commerce. And um, by the way, for that reason, there is also a difference between self-abuse, as it is called masturbation, and the sexual intercourse. Because um, in, in just uh, when people practice masturbation, there is no, uh, it's, it's more, more dangerous, more harmful. Uh, because you get into the grip of purely elemental energies, there is a loss without anything in return. Whereas in a normal sexual relationship, uh, there is a both-way traffic. And um, so if both are at the same level, uh, it's, it's uh, just the same. It doesn't matter. But if both are very disparate in their you know, um, level of consciousness, there is a big difference. So sometimes you will see such strange things like in the ashram context. Um, uh, a certain kind of healthy friendship has been there right from the days of the mother. It's understood it was not about sex. But well, I mean, things could happen. But the moment there was a kind of relationship with somebody, um, you know, outside the circle. And we see this in ancient religions also. That they did not encourage relationship outside the circle. Because it will involve a kind of interchange which can be really deleterious to the core principles of yoga. And that's why it was discouraged. So there is no morality involved in it. It's just a question of that if we have one partner, we are growing up with that partner. Uh, much of the vital excitement and all this that accompanies sexuality may go away in the background. Second, the two become one over a long period of time mm -hmm. because of this vital interchange. And uh, both can handle each other's uh, you know material which has passed into them. Whereas if there, are, there is a, like, because it's a vital pleasure-seeking process also in human being unfortunately there is a need for newness novelty and this need for newness and novelty can lead to issues like changing partners which also mean keep on taking uh, every time there is a vital interchange you keep taking a truckload of issues which the other person has so it's not just a exchange of bodily fluids but many other aspects so this um, this emphasis in certain religions or traditions on one partner this is the basis. It is not about morality, but a very purely um, a knowledge of how our inner commerce takes place, our inner thing operates. And uh, this knowledge means that even in many other interchanges where there is not, not a frank sexual intercourse, there could be an interchange of materials, so one has to be cautious and careful. If you read some of the letters early days in the ashram, uh, somebody would ask that, you know, when this lady passed by my side and I shook hands and you know, she smiled at me, I felt the sexual impulse rise. Now, in traditional yogas, they would say, shun the woman. You know, they, they are, if you read Swami Sivananda, you'll be frightened. There's a whole book on Brahmacharya. So, if you read it, you'll, you'll feel, my God, it's an impossibility. And he says, and many of these yogis admit that it's universal. It's not that anybody is exempt from this. We can put a cover, nice coating, etc., which makes it worse because then we suffer from guilt, shame, other things. So, all these has no place in... Uh, what we are discussing, though we will touch upon that. But simply because of the law of vital interchange, the vital commerce that take place. So, um, 
Now, apart from these, there is, when Shurabindo, toward the later part, 49-50, he has written his writings on the supramental manifestation. In which case, he speaks of the difficulties that will come in the way of the supramental manifestation. And he says the difficulty is dual, corporeal and psychological. And then he speaks about the corporeal difficulties. It's a very beautiful passage, you know, where he talks in, in a very small, brief passage he gives in nutshell what has to be done, what is the whole process, though he has described it in detail elsewhere also. So he says the difficulty, corporeal difficulty comes from two elements. One is the sexual and the second is um, food. Because essentially through food also we take a truckload of inconscience because you know everything we take, either we take minerals or plant or animals, we do take in our own share of inconscient. And of course sex. And then he says the problem with sex is that there is a divine principle behind it which supports it. So it's not so simple to just get rid of uh, the sexual impulse or rather the attraction because it is a divine principle. When mother was asked what is this divine principle behind uh, the attraction of a man to a woman, she said the relation between Purusha and Prakriti. Now there is a divine principle. If we see Ishwara and Ishwari and the two coming together, uh, there is a truth behind it. While it is true that the soul is neither masculine nor feminine. And one has to live in that state of consciousness, very beautifully exemplified by a story. And the story will show what, to what extent the difficulty has been faced by the ancient yogis. So the story goes that once Vyasa and his son, Shukdev, they are crossing the river. Now Vyasa is a great uh, seer and he has, you know, um, he has composed the Mahabharata, the Puranas and many legendary things. He had the capacity to have Trikal Drishti. So when he is going on the, uh, on the bridge, there have been many ladies who are taking a bath there. And the moment he steps onto the bridge and come into their purview, they just adjust their clothes and, you know, like uh, make some gestures that they, they don't want to be seen. And Vyasa walks. And when Shukdev, his son, goes, then uh, they just continue bathing, just as it is. So Vyasa is very perplexed that, you know, how come, you know, I, I am so careful. I don't let any thoughts of sex enter into my mind anywhere. I have done with it long back. And how, how come that uh, in my presence, they were uncomfortable, but very comfortable when Vyasa, when Sukhadev is walking, they, can, they don't mind bathing just as they are. And then they say that, look, you know, you have expelled it from all other parts, but still there in your subconscious nature. And therefore, the women feel it. And therefore, they are very sensitive. Whereas Shukdev, he doesn't feel anything about it. <laughs> For him, there is no difference between a man and a woman. He lives in that consciousness. So we don't feel anything amiss about it. So you see how, to what extent it can go in a, in a great seer like that. And we have legion stories in our own uh, scripture, in, in Indian scriptures. I mean, Vasist had children. Many of these yogis had children. Vishwamitra, who several times went up and down the way. But the difference is, what really makes a difference is that uh, whereas uh, these yogis, uh, we'll come to the full mastery later, but these yogis, they, if they fell, they, they got up again and bounced back. You know, in Shurabindo's letter, there's a very nice little letter to Niruddha. He says, you know, I fell again, some, maybe some, something else. And he says, you know, he feels bad, I'm unfit. These thoughts come to many people in yoga uh, even after many years, uh, Champak Lalji, after 12 years, writes to Shiobindo, uh, Are you sure I am fit for this yoga? Can you imagine? So, Shiobindo says, All right, what is to be done? Get up, brush your pants, start walking. So, don't start lamenting. So, things like guilt, shame have no place in yoga. They sap away the energy, despair, depression. But what, what, what uh, happens is that after a sexual uh, relation or uh, even after self-abuse, suddenly there is a whole door that opens because there is a fall into the inconscient state, which uh, after that immediate pleasure, there is a state of torpor. Now, in that state of torpor, for, for a normal person, it doesn't matter uh, because, you know, we live in torpor. But 
the moment we begin to become more and more conscious, I mean those who are conscious of their nights know it very well that after any sexual uh, um, relation, the whole night becomes a very different night. Otherwise, one can remain conscious throughout the night and one sees the difference. Uh, so, the, the first challenge is that the moment there is a, a state of torpor, the gate opens to all kinds of things. So one can get up in an irritable state, one can, you know, again doubts may come in, there can be feelings of depression, despair, guilt, not because that is the, uh, that is sent by some divinely ordained. Divine would not want us to experience these things. He would want us to wake up and start the process again. Sit down and meditate. That's it. That's how the yogis of old have gone. Vishwamitra didn't uh, lament that ah, I have fallen because Menaka came into my life. Vishwamitra went ahead with his life and gave the Gayatri mantra and is regarded as such a great rishi. So one of the first thing is to dissociate these mental things which have come up partly because of society and morality about sexuality. That will make it a little more easier to handle. And indeed it happens. Over a period of time, all these issues go up, go away and we know that yet it's a process and we come out of it much fast. Shubindu says the ability to bounce back much fast. The second problem with sexuality now vis-a-vis yoga is that the, those who begin to live in the higher centers, I'm sure people would have experienced it, that ordinarily in the human sexual relationship, there is just a little joy or pleasure or whatever which is purely confined to the muladhar. I am sure this experience many will be able to uh, relate. But after one has made the ascension, then paradoxically, it's not just the muladhar centers which uh, get triggered. Right from the top to the bottom. Some people experience it as an intense pleasure because, you know, those higher centers come down. But the problem is that it's also a great fall because one was dwelling in these centers which are very active. And there is a veiling of the consciousness which one has to recover. And the more one develops, uh, goes far into yoga, the easier it is to recover. You know, within few hours, maybe even within few minutes if one is, but usually within few hours. But the uh, more one is behind, I mean, one is is still not taken uh, largely on the path, still not stabilized, the more time it takes. Now, which means that for a long, long part of the journey, the two go together. Shubindu was asked this question that, you know, is it possible to have self-realization even while having the sexual impulse? He said, yes. And the very interesting part is that uh, some of us may be aware, there is a famous uh, letter of um, Eleanor Montgomery. Heard about her name. She was, she was an American lady, fashion designer. And she writes a letter to Shubindu. Uh, people don't know the, uh, the questions. They know the answer. <laughs> So in one of the letters he writes, it is very strange that when I was having a sexual relation with my husband, I suddenly experienced the state of the self. Did I really hallucinate? Is it true? <laughs> Subhinda says, yes, your experience was true. Why did I happen during this phase? Because you were in a state of entire, entire self-giving. So even in that state, now this is not the path <laughs> recommended, <me. laughs> but uh, it's possible to go very far. So one should not start struggling with impulse in the beginning. Mother keeps telling about this that look, you know, first accumulate the positive forces of yoga, peace, light, uh, love, gratitude, all this one should develop before touching this part. And uh, repeatedly she cautions, she even cautions that well, you know, ultimately it will drop away with the dropping away of the animality on the body. So, uh, some people unnaturally put themselves into conflict with this part, leading to a lot of loss of time on the way. And uh, when Shubhinda was asked in the beginning, you know, he was not very keen on taking very young people into the yoga. Usually, the preferred age group was late 20s, preferably early 30s, mid 30s. Standard age was mid 30s. There were very few exceptions of youngsters. They wanted to come, but not always taken. And when Shubhinda was asked, he said, because uh, though they are initially driven by something nice, but because the vital has not yet had its full play, so it will emerge and there will be many conflicts in the nature, which they won't be able to handle in the ashram setting, because it's, it does not facilitate easily uh, this kind of an urge. So it's better that they have the experience of life, know what things are and then come. So it's, uh, you know, in ancient days, this is how the system worked. Like the first initial phase was Brahmacharya. It's strange if you look at it like, why did they keep the first 25 years for the most difficult things? 
or the first two dentiers. Uh, normally, one uh, when one takes the journey of yoga, one thinks, oh, brahmacharya is for later part, which is true in a way that the true practice of brahmacharya begins when one has already, you know, navigated much of the way. The reason is when children are there, they are very malleable and if there is a conducive environment and this is something to do with education for the first 18-20 years though the impulses the hormones begin to rage but if the environment is such if they are having lot of physical exercises um, and there is in general a certain kind of discipline in the atmosphere like in the ashram one reason why there is so much emphasis on physical exercises is simply because this impulse can be sublimated or channelized physical exercises and poetry music they are some of the ways by which this impulse can be sublimated and channelized not conquered or mastered so for the initial at least even if 15 20 years one can lay a strong foundation of brahmacharya then the rest of the life it becomes easy so that was the ancient principle of education then one enters into grahast means one has the experience of everything including sexuality children everything else then one is ready for the next stage so this was the logical process now in yoga also it operates in a way only the stages are compressed so generally an experience of life outside an experience with you know a partner maybe having children seen through it all maybe in a short while it's not necessary to go through the whole process intelligent people learn fast and you know <laughs> let us expect except that we are all you know uh, smart enough to understand things much faster that ultimately uh, the joy we are seeking does not come through any body it comes only through the one uh, who alone is but it takes time it takes certain experiences if we forcibly try to put a cap over it we know it has its own difficulties when shubindu was asked that uh, the problem is only in in the physical intercourse why because there is a loss of seminal substance there is a basis to it so if you really see the seminal the seminal substance has and something corresponding in the women has two components to it uh, one is of course the reproductive cells and lot of energy of the body goes into the formation of the gametes it's a, it's a fact uh, that's why look at the power of it that it can create is the power to create a whole being and there is another part which contains things like lecithin phosphorus etc which is which nourishes the brain so there is the another part so this loss of the uh, seminal substance or the fluids uh, that was regarded as very important because if you conserve it you can change it into uh, rathas and tejas and uh, ojas and virias this was the whole process that you uh, and that's why it, the word used is heat being on heat so if you conserve the sexual energy there is a general heat in the body if you conserve this heat it goes and starts nourishing the brain power many people who uh, have conserved it they know how what a brilliant memory they can have men like swami vivekananda shurbindo amazing memory uh, by the way there is a small little uh, anecdote of shurbindo which is not normally published when uh, somebody asked him that is is it possible to experience brahmacharya in married life and shubhendu says yes of course he was well married in advance and he says i am aware of it it's possible to experience brahmacharya in married life but that's a rare thing you know but by and large uh, it's it's not so easy so someone asked shubhendu that it's only about the physical part otherwise it's okay shubhendu said no even if you think and contemplate on sexuality the energy loss takes place physical is the final act so it's not as simple as that i refrain from the physical act in fact sometimes if we refrain from the physical act and keep on the energy inside and put a cap with shame and guilt then it can lead to certain kinds of disorders which is also known well known i mean both in medical science and yogic science i have personally seen a few you know where people who put a cap over it they end up seeing uh, sexuality in everyone so i sometimes say bit jokingly that you know we come here to see the divine in everyone but we end up seeing only hostile beings and uh, sexual people in everyone because uh, whatever we had suppressed inside that gets projected into others so self righteousness shame and guilt are certainly not the way not the way not the way that part is very clear in fact they are a danger uh, probably more dangerous than simply you know going through a normal life and then emerging out at some stage of point of time 
as I said, many experiences come, can come on the way, do come on the way, even while sexual process is going on. But what do we do during this period? Shubhendra advises Sayama. Sayama means a regulation. Don't let it be just like an animal thing. So in his essay, he talks about that again. So he says there is a divine principle behind it. Therefore, complete rejection of the sexual impulse was not possible. So what do we do? He says, of course, all animal ways of sexuality, the cruder elements uh, have to vanish from it. That he says very clearly and categorically. So all animal things in sexuality, the will to possess, the will to force oneself and it's coming in a big way in society itself. So uh, there has to be a higher and higher element which must come and take hold of the sexual urge. Uh, very interestingly, you know, India, the celebrated land of Kama Sutra also, <laughs> among many things. Kama Sutra, if you read through it, I don't know if somebody has read it. It's a very interesting scripture. And it's written by a sage. He was a sage, Watson. He's done a very scientific study. Now, people, uh, you know, talk about Kama Sutra and say that Kama Sutra is about sexual postures. No. If you really see it thoroughly, you will see that each posture is also simultaneously a kind of asana which is being done. More importantly, Kam Sutra emphasizes very little, very little on the actual process, a lot more elaborately, uh, elaborately on uh, the, uh, you know, what in psychology would be termed as a preparation for sexuality. And the preparation is such you almost feel that he is, um, you know, lifting it up to some heavenly height. Take a bath in this kind of water, apply sandal paste and perfumes. It's almost a way to sublimate sexuality to a almost godlike level. Of course, there were limitations and the main thing is Sayama. And Shobinda in one of his essays, Process of Evolution, speaks about it. He says, any tendency which once manifests in nature has to go through his cycle. The same thing with illness. Mother said it has to go through his cycle. But you can shorten the cycle or you can prolong it. That's within our hands. So once a tendency is manifested, it will go through. Now by applying a certain degree of reasonable restraint, that means um, as far as possible, uh, come out of self-abuse. As far as possible, stay with one partner. As far as possible, again none of these for moral reason. Start giving more and more gaps. As far as possible, make an observation and study what are the triggers. Like boredom is a trigger. Uh, definitely if there is somebody jobless, if there is laziness, sexual impulses rises very strongly. As far as possible, engage with physical activities. Uh, as far as possible, stay busy. Uh, then again, there are many other things. Uh, reading of books which can really be uplifting to the uh, thought and mental consciousness spending time in satsang all these are known things meditation of course true meditation there is a very interesting story uh, somebody told Shobindo oh A sits for so many hours in meditation he meditates for hours must be a very advanced sadhak and Shobindo says yes but he meditates on his wife so you know he could see through the mental world of humanity in fact um, at one place Nalnida says that Chastity is a, it's not a physical condition. He says it's a condition of the mind. It has nothing to do with the physical condition. And that's why there are many stories in Indian context about this. Chastity was never like having just one partner and sleeping with that partner. It's a condition of the mind. And then he goes on to say, if you see the mental atmosphere of people, everybody is promiscuous. I mean, just imagine, you know. Uh, even about things like homosexuality. Shubhinda has written about everything. He says it's it's nothing to do, you know, calling it aberrant and all is our, uh, again, a moralistic way of thinking. But Shubhinda says that, first of all, it has always been there. It's just that society has put a taboo on it. The second part is that he says, um, if you uh, confine this impulse, don't let it be expressed in certain ways, normal and healthy ways. Like, for instance, prisoners. I know for sure when... Uh, soldiers are fighting in forward areas where they can't even look at a girl and uh, they are living together, huddled together and even with recruitment centers, homosexuality is a very common thing. So wherever you repress this impulse, it takes other routes, all kinds of routes. Sometimes it can take very deviant routes. So and the approach towards mastering it must be very healthy. 
So then what is the process? He says uh, one method that he gives is rejection. Of course it will not always succeed. But the very fact one has put in a little effort, it helps because it, it lays the foundation of the future. Whereas if you immediately succumb, then you are giving into an impulse and forming a habit pattern. So even if rejection doesn't succeed, it's worthwhile practicing. And this rejection can apply at many levels, at the thought level, at the where it is relatively easier, at the physical level, the food one is eating, the habits, etc., etc. But more importantly, and that's where the mother brings in the dimension. And if you read all the books on sexuality, this will be the culminating point. Read Shivananda. At the end, he will say, you can try whatever you want. Ultimately, it is the grace of God which can free you from this. Now, he was a great yogi and, you know, he's, he's given a great emphasis on Brahmacharya. Now, Brahmacharya, particularly in physical transformation, is a must. Other experiences one can have, but physical transformation cannot be without Brahmacharya. That's what Shubhinda says. So, he speaks about, uh, Mother speaks about offerings. He says, keep offering. And all kinds of things one can try. I mean, Personally, I can share this. I have tried remembering the mother. <laughs> okay. I am in the middle of a process. I am offering to mother. Mother, please take care of this. And you will see that suddenly it is a very different state altogether. Now, you know, each one tries his own way. It is not, there is no, no fixed way about these things. But one tries it. And one day one succeeds by constant offering and invocation of grace. A time comes when one is out of it. Now, when one is out of it, one should be careful about the environing consciousness because sex is also in the environment. So, it can just come back and it needs just one small little door because it's millions of years. It's not just human. And any little door opens and that's why uh, sometimes the rule of vigilance. Now, vigilance again is not an external vigilance. I'll close my eyes. I'll not look here. I'll not go to see a picture. The vigilance is to become conscious of what's happening inside us. And be careful about that. Another thing which I have found very, very beautiful and very instructive. You know, we talk about tantra and sex and things like that. And there is a left-hand tantra where basically both have to reach an exalted state, uh, the partner and the person. And uh, yet, they have to do everything except the final act. And this is a test given to the uh, tantric disciples of the left-hand path. I know it for sure. I know one uh, tantric siddha in the left-hand path. And if the disciple couldn't control himself, he would say, you are unfit, never again come to me. No, but this, that's a dangerous way. Shubhinda doesn't suggest us all these things. Uh, but they attempted some kind of a bold path. But the right way is to keep on offering, to keep on offering. And a time comes when it becomes weaker and weaker. Then with regard to environing consciousness, again, uh, I read a very interesting uh, statement by Swami Vivekananda. And I just love it, you know, because I feel it's the simplest thing to follow in life. And especially for us, because we are children of Divine Mother and we love her. So he says, what is true Tantra? He says, true Tantra is see the Divine Mother in all women. I have never found a more powerful. And of course, it's there in Tantra Sar. Shobinda has translated this part of the Tantra Sar into English. Where he says, O Devi, I worship you. O woman, I worship you as a Devi. Meaning thereby, regardless of who the woman is, she is your partner, she is outside you, she is your meeting, worship her as a goddess. Now this very fact of treating women, in fact that's the exact sentence of Swami Vivekananda, worship all women as goddess, that is the true Tantra. Shiva says, of course he says that this is one part of it. He has translated this aspect of Tantrasar. But he says you have to see the Divine Mother in all. Obviously, you can't deprive men also are same portions of the Divine Mother. But this is a very, very magic remedy. It takes time. But to fix the mind on looking at anyone and everyone, that the person is none else but the Divine Mother. Some power aspect of her. Now again, it's not, there is no instant remedy. But definitely over a period of time, uh, through various ways, another thing which I have found very uh, useful and maybe with that we can end and open it to questions or answers. <laughs> because uh, I can't say there are any quick answers to this. Uh, it is, uh, which I feel very tacitly has been done in a, as an experiment uh, without calling it like that in the ashram context. 
and uh, because lust is a ultimately a degradation of love i really believe that true love can actually be a cure for it so true love means love without expectation to love divinely to love without the least bit of demand even seeking for pleasure and i suppose a time will come when humanity will be able to love like that shubindo says in one of his aphorism when the uh, you know strongest boy strongest girl in the crowd and the sweet sweetest boy they can come together that is the sign of a new age so it will happen one day true love will conquer over lust which also means true love will conquer over death because lust is one of the doorways towards death mother goes on to say each sexual act is a step towards death and that's why we see in savitri paradoxically it's a story of love and the opponent is death and ultimately she masters but after that mastery she doesn't leave satyavan she says we our bodies need each other still to the last so there is a truth where he has already revealed to us that there is a truth of the relationship so he is not asking us to shun relationship he is telling us make it pure make it more beautiful make it healthy make it like around the common aspiration don't let it remain vital full of stuck in the vital mud and the bog mire and one day man may not be ready today but surely a time will come when there will be relationship like that in the ashram context whenever there was a vital involvement mother and shubindo would immediately discourage it but wherever there was true friendship and true love they would never discourage it in fact uh, some of the old sadhikas one of them was telling me whenever we would tell mother mother uh, i feel love for this person uh, what should i do and sh- this sadhika was telling me very beautifully she said uh, look never repress the energy of love never repress the energy of love another sadhika who fell in love with a person who was already in a relationship with with another woman and she said now i am caught up what should i do she said your love is psychic in nature you may continue and these are direct i mean they have both of them people have themselves told this to me so why i'm saying is that love should not be confused with lust we at least in india there is a tendency to club the two together so if you are moving around if a man and a woman are moving together they are the most fallen of all people because you know obviously they are in lust it's not necessary it's possible to love without lust and i think it's the most beautiful kind of love that can ever be experienced and it can become a actually a support and not a hindrance to sadhana this is not a sanction as shubindo would say for searching for a soulmate soulmates don't uh, one cannot find by searching it's one in 50 or one in 100 cases one may find somebody who is meant to be the actual partner but one should not be searching for a soulmate the search is for the divine <laughs> and in the process we have to go through many experiences of life in which sexual relationship vital relationship mental companionship psychic love and ultimately in some future time spiritual love will flower upon earth in human bodies i think i like to stop with that if there is anything one would like to share add subtract question most welcome everything except the final act that's what so in savitri when you see that act of marriage you see uh, i mean leaving aside the symbol part this is a symbolic way of looking at it but i take it that shubindo is uh, shurbindo he is using symbol and the real and bringing them together so i i don't believe you should take it only symbolically if you see the love of savitri and satyavan what magnificent love that's why he ended up with this note that there is a possible for you, possibility of human love where he is describing how she feels emotionally a flutter in the heart she makes him all her world and he makes her all all completely his there is an utter self giving there is an utter fusion of the two they is together following on the same beautiful path towards you know they they are born for a work and they must do together the work but that's where it ends 
in ignorance he talks about love seeking a sign where he says that you know imperfect and inadequate signs that love can use limb cries for answering limb so even it goes to that but that he doesn't bring into the actual relation now in another place where he brings in that aspect of love where savitri tells satyavan uh, you know give me more of your kisses and more of your embraces uh, i thirst for more that's when you know shubhendu that's the beginning of the book of yoga now interestingly if you see um, there shubhendu describes how savitri is completely identified with the human consciousness because this this suffering this pain so at one level it liberates us that you know we there is no scope of guilt but what she does with it she doesn't uh, either remain there as an indulgent woman who is crying and craving and or as an indulgent uh, partner and of course he didn't know poor fellow uh, i mean good for him so but you know uh, any good for him you know she has won the battle for him so she doesn't uh, remain there then comes the next step she says what shall i do because my heart is craving for more it's crying for more but it won't get more isn't that a truth of our human relationship in the vital level then she takes the path of transmuting it and that's where she transmutes the energy of love into the energy of lust into the energy of love so when death says it's a craving of the flesh she tells death my love is not a craving of the flesh my love is not the hunger of the heart and then because she has transmuted it there is a possibility for love to become divinized and inhabit upon earth so definitely shubhendu didn't make it a taboo subject savitri the most important work speaks about it absolutely right but it also speaks about the transmutation of that uh, love uh, from the animal to the divine stage passing through a phase of humanity savitri's love is never shown as animal love but a human love where everything is involved and then it transcends to the divine so i think it's important to remember it that uh, as mother said man is one leg in animality the other in humanity yet he is a candidate for divinity sometimes we think being in animality we can leap to divinity we have to go through the human phase and that's why in oroville where she talked about marriages are no more necessary they become redundant as an institution dated uh, she also gave this message of uh, which nowadays we give as on marriage but it was not given for marriage it was given for relationship uh, it was given primarily uh, when she gave this message to oroville that marriage is not necessary she said bring it back they will misunderstand i mean obviously we'll say ah wonderful <laughs> we can have free sex with anyone so she calls and speaks about what it means to be in relationship then with there she says to unite your Uh, you know body to unite your senses to unite your feelings to unite your interest to unite your mental uh, you know occupations and then she says in the center there is a fire of aspiration you must unite around that and walk the same path with the same pace together towards the same goal that is the secret of a lasting union at the same time she did not condemn or ridicule anybody if they went through many experiences there is a very clear passage in agenda where there is a man who flirts around and people say oh mother you are talking to him he is a very bad man usual typical you know and mother says no i find him very good uh, he has gone through illusions uh, people go through it so casually she said another instance where you know somebody people started shunning a woman because uh, she started living with a man now i am talking of ashram those days <laughs> imagine so she started living suddenly with a man and people used to respect her a lot suddenly started shunning so mother says when these things happen outside i can understand but when this happens here i am shocked what is she shocked about not about the woman living with a man but about people's reaction and then she says those who are still living in this social mindset they are not ready even to take the first step onto the path of yoga these are her words you can find it there in collected works that they are not ready even to take the so it's not about society it's not about uh, you know uh, morality it's not about conventions it's not about religion but it's about the science of spirituality where sex brings in its uh, quota of excitement and fall pleasure uh, which is okay but uh, is not okay if one wants to take uh, the further ascent and if one has ascended it means uh, coming touching base again and again 
which also the divine uses. There is a line in Savitri, this too the supreme diplomat can use. He makes our falls a means to greater rise. And he describes it how. For uh, um, then what happens, the higher self comes into the gusty fields of the subconscious darkness. And there, curtained by the darkness, does his work, which is also a fact of experience. But having said that, um, at some point we have to, you know, change the basis of relationship, human relationship from an animal to a divine one. That should be the thrust of our evolution. And meanwhile, many things will happen. We have to take it as uh, experiences on the way. Yes, please. Yes, of course. I, I, I am in 200% agreement with you. Divine is free and he can use any means. So, I have myself seen, though it's they don't speak about it, the reason is that, you know, people will take it as a sanction. So, in evening talks, for instance, when somebody asked Shurabindo about, uh, you know, even about this truth behind sex, he said, yes, there is a truth. He said, why don't you tell us? He said, no, 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 it's very dangerous if I tell you guys now because humanity will take it as a sanction. But I do agree that divine is free. He works in infinite freedom and he can use anything, including a relationship to suddenly bring us out of a pattern or a groove in which we are stuck and shift us. I completely agree with you and that is an experience one has if one goes through life and nothing, it should not be seen with a good and bad lens. That's a big difficulty. I think that's a big challenge because we still have the religious and moral ideas which, which, um, which prevent any true mastery. Yes, yes, Manoj. Yes, yes, yes. So, so there are several kinds of understanding about it. I'll tell you, Shivalingam. So, if you see Shivalingam, if you it's if you see it's rooted in a way that the there is a base which is like a female genitalia. If you look at it, and there is a lingam which is more like a male phallus. That's how. Um, many people have understood it as, you know, oh, it's about sexuality. But uh, actually it's about, uh, I, I personally believe, I mean, leaving aside the tantrics, uh, Shaivites who used it as a tantric symbol and I just refer to it as the left-hand tantra which uh, went down a path. Even Vaishnava tantra took the left-hand path. But they took the path of, you know, um, loving all at, at a human level which easily degrades into all lust. But uh, the Shivlingam, to, to my understanding, uh, which um, Mother has also mentioned, is the union of the divine with material nature. So, Lingam is not the male phallus. Lingam is the, the Shiva extending himself above and below and everything. And this is Prakriti, the most material nature, who receives. Now, it happens that because that is a subtle truth, there is something similar reproduced by nature because it draws the idea from that and reproduces in the physical plane uh, in the most material creations because there is a subtle truth there about it. But the truth is there, not vice versa. So many of these uh, psychoanalysts who reverse the whole process and say, oh, it's basically about sexuality. No, it's about a deeper truth. The divine giving himself to nature, literally penetrating and nature is receptive. So that's how the masculine and the feminine principle come in. The purusha and the prakriti come in. But uh, to reproduce this truth at a human level or at an animal level, nature has created forms which try to reproduce it. But obviously it's very clumsy, it's very distorted. And uh, Shubhinda speaks about this experience of the divine consciousness penetrating material nature. And he has literally used the word kamananda and maithunananda which are again misinterpreted because Maithun, as you know, 
मैथुन मीन्स एट एट ए वेरी क्रूड लेवल इट मीन्स सेल्फ एब्यूज बट मैथुन ऑल्सो मीन्स द यूनियन ऑफ टू अपोजिट सो यू नो द हाइएस्ट डिवाइन कॉन्शियसनेस टचिंग मैटर एंड परमिएटिंग इट पेनिट्रेटिंग इट लिटरली इफ यू सी इवन द वर्ड्स मदर डजेंट यूज दिस वर्ड बट वन ऑफ आर प्रेयर शी सेज दैट प्रेज टू द डिवाइन कॉन्शियसनेस एंड दाउ हू परमिएटेस्ट पेनिट्रेट्स एवरी सेल ऑफ माई बॉडी now you know it's a very profound experience if you have to reproduce it in some way how do you do it so uh, long back because in india all kinds of experiments took place they took that uh, truth and gave it a symbolic form in shivlinga that's how i i understand it i know there are many other ways of looking at it but it is consistent with at least with our yoga where the highest consciousness Entering into material nature, and Shiva and Parvati's relation is about that. So, if uh, I think nothing to add, subtract, <laughs> we can. Anything you would like to say, or share. Yes. Yeah, pornography is dangerous because it it's dangerous even for a normal because it's it see normal healthy sexual relation is one thing, but the problem of pornography is that pornography finishes the emotional the emotional capacity to relate with a woman. You see, women of course pornography probably women also do, but you know it it in a healthy sexual relationship. Uh, there should be an engagement of two personalities in one of the first things that we learned as a psychiatrist i mean i am bringing in my profession and was very happy that even standard textbooks mention that sex is not about physical intercourse but it's about the uh, coming together of two personalities but in pornography there is no personality involved i mean it's purely about pleasure through a form so once you do it again and again the mind what is patterned upon the mind is that relationship is about pleasure through a form and that's one second because there is a free availability of women or men you know so the second pattern that is imprinted is is novelty so very soon one is fed up with one form now all these are perversions this is not normal sexuality so perversion in the sense uh, i mean uh, maybe some somebody will say oh no no it's not perversion it's normal but of course this is not natural you know it's it's very unnatural third is that because you have a quick access now that means there will be no sayama you have any time you feel like having sex there is a uh, an impulse there is a possibility on the net or people even in parliament sit and watch pornography that's why i'm saying it's a disease it's a disease then uh, now we talk about pornography addiction but it's a disease if you look at it then the fourth thing Uh, you know as i said during purely self abuse practice the big problem is that there are lot of elemental energies what are called in india as bhutas and you know bhuta not ghost <laughs> but elemental energies which are in the environment and they can easily take take grip of the person and they will start pushing so the impulse becomes worse and worse because they are there in the environment of a person and i think mother notes about Uh, Morris Meagher, who had visited, uh, um, I am afraid my French pronunciation may not be right. Please correct me. M A G R E. Morris, uh, I know. Meagher, he had visited um, and met the mother. He was fa- very famous French writer, and he said, "I have seen people who indulge too much into sex that there is there is swarm of entities, vital entities around them." And mother said, "I congratulate you. Your observation is absolutely right." And mother. narrates this to uh, in one of her talks that he made a very correct observation that there is a swarm of elemental entities now what these entities can do they can even create accidents because basically these are elemental energies you know they they don't care they they are just interested in their fun so the problem with uh, the the pornography is that it it is apart from unhealthy and unnatural it is dangerous unlike a healthy normal sex with a partner which even if you have a few partners leaving aside the you know sexual transmitted diseases etc but what is the solution for it i don't know because pornography has invaded the world what is the 
and lots of money is now there. Maximum money is in pornography. So money, sex, power, they are interconnected. What Shurabindu said in the mother, these are the three doors of um, fall, money, sex and power. And in pornography, we see all the three mixed together. So I, I don't have a solution. Individual solutions, okay. Ideally, at some point, people have to decide and decide whether like uh, whether you want uh, pollutants like uh, uh, what is it carbon dioxide and people are having all these conferences on <coughs> carbon emissions uh, we should ban it the word ban evokes but at some point you have to ban the psychological pollutants which are destroying the atmosphere that's my feeling but when it will happen i don't know because it is a it is a strong pollutant and if you have an excess, you don't have a solution. Because you can't blame children. They are very impulsive. 13 year, 14 year old. You have given him a toy through which he can have instant pleasure. But at some point, I think the decision has to come at a very high level. Because otherwise it's a free streaming thing. Okay, so I think we can close it. Thank you so much.